glad um, to be with all of you this morning. Um, if we've not met, my name is Ken. I'm glad to be with all of you that might be joining us today online. And I want you to know that Crosswinds is a place that you will be accepted and that you will be loved. You know, often I like to think of Crosswinds like the island of misfit toys. It's a place where there are no perfect people here. We're all a little broken. That's the reality everywhere. But often as Americans, we try to hide our mess. We try to hide our brokenness. We often gloss over our brokenness with pretty social media pictures, an illusion with smiling faces. We do it with well-crafted words about our lifestyles and our choices. Most of our lives around the area in where we live, in our neighborhoods, they look clean, they look neat, they look well-groomed in our yards. We have well-fed families, and we often have shiny toys in our driveways. But if you start to look, and you start to listen closely, friends, there's a real mess out there. One in five adults in our country is struggling with some form of mental illness right now, anxiety or depression. One in 20 of us are experiencing serious mental illness. 17% of our youth, 16 to 17 years old, are experiencing a mental health disorder right now. 15% of our adults are struggling with substance abuse. And those two things are closely related. Um, Those that struggle with mental illness also struggle with addiction. Statistically, uh, 20% of Americans that suffer with anxiety and depression will eventually be addicted. Um, Study shows that those that suffer with bipolar disorders are five times more likely than someone without to have a substance abuse problem. You know, 44% of those in the LGBTQ community suffer with mental illness each year. That's nearly double, more than double, those of other populations. For those who suffer, the average delay between the symptoms that they receive and, you know, the onset of their symptoms and getting treatment is 11 years. That means there's a lot of hurting people out there. The United States, while it's the wealthiest country in the world, has the highest rate of suicide right now. We also have the second highest death rate from substance abuse. Our own state, Illinois, ranks 11th out of 50 for the top suffering states in mental health. Now, before you think of moving, like Pete and Lori, um, to some sunny climate with more natural beauty, thinking you'll feel better, the number one state in the U.S. where people suffer is, can you guess? Hawaii. Hawaii is the number one. So it's not geography that's going to change things. 
I know that brokenness from addiction and mental illness is something that touches me and my own family. And it touches the lives of people in this church and in our community, no matter what the illusion that we try to create on our social media pages. And no matter how much people try to hide it in our religion, we need to be honest. Jesus came to set people free from brokenness. Jesus said that God sent him to set, he sent him to proclaim liberty to captives, to recover sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So, So why do so many in his church try to hide their eyes from the reality of brokenness? And why do we sometimes try to Avoid those who are suffering. And why do we try to fantasize that we have a perfect little church and that our neighborhoods are perfect? You know, when I was a new Christian, I remember my Sunday school teacher saying, Ken, you know, if we ever really got involved in people's lives and started to be the church like Jesus is, it's going to get messy. Well, I came from a mess. And I remember thinking, let's get messy and let's help. And so that's why I think God led me to be a church planter and a pastor. See, sin makes a mess of our lives. But Jesus has called us to be his church and go into the field by his authority and set captives free. With his gospel that that frees us. Today, in God's word, Jesus will go in his authority to free a man that's in a totally desperate mess. So today, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through, um, I think it's 30. I'm going to keep going in this. Um, It starts out in verse 26 like this. It says, they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite to Galilee. And when Jesus stepped out on land, there met a man from a city who had had demons. For a long time, he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. You know, the, the first thing I see here is Jesus went somewhere where it was different than where he was from. You know, most of us don't like to consider ourselves broken or to have sin in our lives. Maybe you don't like when I say this is a place of misfit toys. Relationally, we tend to be attracted to people like us, which, you know, is kind of narcissistic if you think about it. We tend to like normal people like us, whatever normal means. We like what is safe or what seems to be safe and secure to us. But that's not how Jesus lived. He took his disciples out, as we learned last week, through a killer storm so they could learn to trust in his supreme authority over the natural world. And now Jesus is taking his disciples into an environment opposite to their own so that he can show his supreme power over the spiritual world. See, Galilee was primarily filled with nice religious church people, Jewish people like them, just like the disciples, where they felt safe. But the Gerasenes was opposite to that. It was a Gentile region full of people that ate and drank all the wrong things. 
and lived in a way that was uncomfortable to them. Those that say that they have no one to share the gospel with, it is because they have already shared it with their friends and neighbors who are just like them, the ones that they are comfortable with. This world is full of a mess that needs the power of the gospel to redeem it. And the guy that Jesus is bringing them to is really different than them. He has issues. He's really broken. He has demons. See, Jesus comes from a perfect kingdom of light. And this man is living under the authority of darkness. When the text says he has demons, it doesn't mean that he just has a few issues. It means in the Greek that this man is owned by his issues. He's, he's possessed by demons. Now, in our secular society, many in the mental health field and, 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 and professionals, and frankly, many Christians today, consider the idea of demons old-fashioned. It's just a way that ancient people explain things that they didn't understand about health and mental health. And they would try to explain every struggle that we face in life in a naturalistic way through science. But the Bible teaches there is more to life than this, just this natural world. That there is a spiritual world in which there is a conflict. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. And so what that verse is saying is that many of the things that make our lives messy have a spiritual origin. That they are caused by false spiritual authorities that we can't see. See, friends, sin is a spiritual problem. The Bible says that the natural world has been thrown into frustration or corruption because of our sin. It is the ultimate reason why we struggle in life. Yet often in a secular world, we ignore the spiritual restoration of people in light of just medical and psychological treatments that just address the natural problems that may be going on. It is because we are uncomfortable with the idea of the demonic. Jesus wasn't uncomfortable with it. In this text, we actually see him talk to one. And if they didn't exist, we would have to conclude that Jesus was the one that was mentally ill for talking to something that's not there. Or that he is a deceiver going along with an ancient cultural belief and that he's one that's not giving us the truth. And that simply does not match his character. You know, C.S. Lewis said that there are errors that we can go into when we talk about demons. He says this, he says, there are two equal and opposite errors which our race can fall into about the devils. One is their, to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hell, the materialist or the magician with the same delight. Friends, it's reductionist and unhelpful to blame every mental illness and every addiction and every sin problem on demonic activity. 
all that does is further condemn and shame those who are legitimately struggling with emotional and health problems. Our physical brains, like any other organ, can experience disease and injury and genetic defects. Our emotions can experience traumas, real traumas that can have very lasting effects on our moods. Poor health, though, is generally a result of sin that frustrated creation when it entered the world. But a person's physical condition is not specifically always a result of their own sin. It's a general thing that hit the world. Trauma also is not specifically brought on by someone's own sin, but we all live in a world where we gain trauma from being in a world of sin where other people's sin affects us. Paul says we are wrestling with spiritual forces. And I think one of the problems today is psychiatrists often think we are just physical and just address the physical with medication. And psychologists often think the problem is just emotional and they just treat that. And even us Christians and pastors see everything as spiritual and we ignore those other two helpful treatments for the emotional and the physical. Our creator made us physical, emotional, and spiritual beings. And for us to be fully restored, I don't think we can ignore any parts of a person. Maybe one of the reasons we are so broken, though, right now as a society is, for the most part, we dismiss the spiritual and the problem of the demonic. Demons are pleased that we have ignored them and that we have become a pill culture instead. We, we try to solve anxiety and depression with just pills instead of faith. In the U.S., Legal mental health drugs are a $113 billion industry. And we also spend $150 billion as Americans on illegal drugs to ignore and to medicate our troubles. Which, which I believe is, is leading us into more brokenness, pretending to be whole. If, if we're going to be the church, we must not be afraid to get messy And enter the field into this. But we must not be prideful thinking we are the only and total solution. We must bring the authority of Christ into it. We are simply to go in his authority, trusting in the sufficiency of of God's word and the power of the gospel to bring help. Jesus traveled into an opposite world, one that wouldn't accept him, across a lake during a storm, risking the life of his disciples to restore a man to help in a secular or religious world thinking completely opposite to him in his culture. This man was possessed by demons. I would classify this as extraordinary demonic, where demons have complete authority over somebody. And, and friends, this is, is, is fairly rare. Hollywood movies um, add to our kind of disbelief in this area because they tend to focus on the um, extraordinary for drama's sake. And they make things seem kind of unbelievable. 
Most demonic influence in our lives is what I would call ordinary demonic or oppression. It's more subtle and it goes undetected or we give it natural explanation. See, Satan is known as the father of lies and his main weapon against us is deception and his deception causes us confusion and causes us fear. Jesus is the opposite. He is the light, and he always exposes the truth, which brings peace. The, the goal of some of the medical drugs is to unconfuse the mind so that the people can more readily accept what is true and, and help them to sort out the confusion. But the problem is many of these drugs and alcohol also, also suppress the mind, which also suppresses truth. And that also opens a door and gives an opportunity for the enemy to deceive further. See, the role of the Holy Spirit is to guide us in truth, in the truth of God's love for us. And when he does, fear can be eliminated. The misuse of medications and illicit drugs actually open the mind to the influence of the demonic. Many of the drugs that we we give people bring them into addiction and make them further confused and fearful. The Bible says this, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5, 18. Our emotions, powerful emotions like anger, have an intoxicating effect. And friends, if we don't process them well, if we don't process them correctly by forgiving those who hurt us, the Bible would say that opens us up to demonic influences. Ephesians 4, 27, 26 and 27 says, Be angry and do not sin and do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. The Bible says the demonic can also gain influence or entry into our lives through being sexually immoral. Um, the word says, Or do you not know that he who is joined with a, a prostitute becomes one with her body? For it is written, the two shall become one flesh, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. If, if we engage in any sexual activity outside the bonds of marriage between a man and a woman, we, we risk demonic influence. Sex brings up powerful, intoxicating emotions that destroy, distort truth in our minds through the endorphins and things that are, are created there, allowing us to become influenced falsely. We're also misled falsely by religious practices, like consulting mediums, spirit guides, spiritualists, fortune tellers, and even legalistic religious leaders who are very charismatic that we trust their words over God's word. False worship experiences have an intoxicating effect where we get worked up and they can lead us away from truth. The problem with false worship is that it works for a season. There's some measure of truth in it. See, people won't go to a fortune teller or a medium or a false teacher because there's no truth there. The demons are behind all false religions. 
They give us enough helpful truth, enough spiritual power to hook you. And it's surrounded by lies that will then lead you to destruction. They're subtle. Their attack, the attack they wage on us is pretty ordinary. It's, it's, it's pretty subtle in most cases. But their goal is to slowly destroy you. For the Christian, they, they can't dis- destroy us by possessing us like this man. But they can destroy us, the life and the joy that we have, through being oppressive in our lives. By leading us away from the truth. Making us fearful. Making us anxious. Taking away joy. The man in the story is possessed by a demon. They have stripped him of his humanity. All that God had given him as an, given him as an image bearer. He, so far, he is running around naked like an animal, unprotected in the elements. Mark's gospel said he is cutting himself. Cutting or self-harming is often a sign that there is the presence of the demonic in somebody's life. For that is their plan, to disfigure or destroy us. You know, if you look into our world, there's a lot of compulsive body disfiguring going on in our culture. Is that just style? Jesus tells us about Satan's plan to disfigure us. He says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life. And have it abundantly. Self-harming is not of Christ. There's another power at work that is compelling that. And if the church is not going to go in his authority, is it any wonder that the suicide is epidemic in a society that is so wealthy and really doesn't have any real physical problems? I mean like many countries in the world, yet we have the highest suicide rate. This man is without clothes. He's without a home. The demonic deception of his mind has isolated this man from others. God has made us to interact socially with one another. When he created us, he said, it's not good for us to be alone. And yet getting us alone is exactly a demonic tactic. The Bible describes the devil like a lion. You know, when I was in Africa, I watched a lion hunting a water buffalo. They didn't attack the herd. There were lots of buffalo there. They waited, laying hidden in the grass until that lone buffalo walked away from the herd to get a drink. And then they pounced on him. In our society, loneliness is on the rise. In crowds of people. In January 2020, it was reported that loneliness had gone up by 13% since 2018. And now that was before the pandemic. Can you imagine how much it went up since then? It said about 60% of the people report to be lonely. This text says he lived among the tombs. The man has become demonically deceived that he could have life among the dead. How many today believe their lives can be found, that life can be found among dead things like cars and houses and money and achievement? 
among binge-watching entertainment. And then a lot of that entertainment is about shows about zombies and vampires and things like that, dead things. And they get tattoos of dead things all over their bodies. Just look around. And many constantly watch death statistics on the news about COVID, watching the numbers rise. And they watch media outlets sensationalizing murder on our streets. How do you live in a culture of death? Jesus came that they may have life and have it abundantly. But most are immersed in death through the media. They're more immersed in that than the life that is in his word. Friends, that is a subtle demonic attack on the mental health that's leading our nation into despair. This man is a pathetic, in a pathetic place, a broken state, oppressed and possessed by demonic forces. Yet Jesus loves him. And he came down from heaven and he got into a boat and he risked his life and his buddies' lives and their safety and their comfort to cross that lake and to enter a culture opposite to his own to bring the authority of his gospel to free this man from brokenness. Friends, if you are his disciple, are you willing to go to talk to the kid who identifies as LGBTQ, suffering alone with anxiety on your street? Have you stepped out to meet the neighbor who has a pentagram tattooed on his calf and strange piercings all over his body? Have you talked to the guy at work that often comes in late and often smells like a brewery? Have you reached out to your teen nephew who is always angry and you know is secretly cutting himself? Are you in the boat with Jesus going in his authority or are you playing it safe? On the opposite side of the lake, talking to people just like you. Verse 28 says this. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and he fell down before him and he said with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus? Son of the Most High God, I beg you, do not torment me. Friends, I want you to notice something. Jesus came for this man. But according to these verses, this man was coming for Jesus. The demons had authority over him. But something else in him was leading him to Jesus. Demons do have spiritual power, but they're not omniscient. This proves it. Otherwise, they would not have run to Jesus to be destroyed. There there was an objective to destroy this man. But Satan's power is limited. He can't be everywhere at once. He's not omnipresent. He has demons that carry out his plan. And so he doesn't know all things. Christ does. He's also not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful. While this man is a mess, possessed by demons, he is still under God's power to save him. 
And like the prodigal son, he is lost and he is afraid. And in some sense, he has a sense to run. He's blind. He can't see. But he runs and he falls before Jesus. And just like the prodigal son, Jesus is running to him like the father, always looking and searching for the lost son. It's a much messier story than the prodigal son, but it's the same. I'm sure the disciples are all horrified by this scene. More horrified even than the Pharisees that heard the story of the prodigal son. They're seeing the uncleanness of this story. A Gentile man possessed by many demons living in a cemetery naked, which is for a Jew. In an opposite side of the world, it's so filthy. There's pigs around. Nothing could make this situation clean. Demons cry out in agony. What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. The demons have perfect Christology. They know the identity of Jesus. They have far better theology than the disciples do at this point. When Jesus silenced the wind and the waves, his disciples asked, who is this? They are still coming to terms with his identity, but the demons know his identity. They just won't accept his authority to be saved or to be delivered by Jesus. It's not theology. It's a transfer of authority. But Lord, we are either ruled by the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light. It's not about our knowledge. Many who are trapped in addiction, mental illness, and sin have great knowledge of God. The problem is they have not yet submitted to his authority. Lies, substances, or confusion has a greater authority in their life. You know, many addicts that have tried to manipulate me for resources can perfectly quote Bible verses to me. And they know the right spiritual things to say. It's not knowledge that's the real problem. It's an inner rebellion or a greater loyalty to something else rather than Christ. Demons know God. They just don't obey God. James 2, 19 through 20 says this, but some will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one and you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless. Beloved, there's a difference between knowing there's a God and trusting by faith and submitting to his authority. Here, the demonic only uses his knowledge of Jesus' identity to manipulate. See, the tradition of ancient people was that if you knew someone's name, it gave you spiritual power over them. Knowledge of God is something we often try to use to control God, which is really just rebellion against God. But Jesus is not debating theology with these demons. We don't debate with demons. 
His identity is not up for debate. Jesus instead came at the demon with authority. Verse 29 says, For he commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many times it had seized him and kept him under guard and bound him with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and he would be driven by the demon into the desert. Did you notice in that verse, demons drove that man's behavior or used to drive that man's behavior. They gave him strength and knowledge and drove him into the wilderness alone. Jesus simply takes that authority away from the demons. The Great Commission says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. When we go, we go in the authority of Jesus. The gospel is not a theological debate on the nature of God. It is proclaiming Jesus has authority over our sin and death and all the devil's work. Many in this old man's country had to deal, had tried to deal with this man's authority or his rebellion problem with their own authority through chains, through guards, through shackles. But it failed. That's why religion fails, because it's a, it's, it's a chain, it's a, a shackle. The demons, as Mark's gospel tells us, gave that man supernatural strength. The, the demons had given this man supernatural knowledge of who Jesus is. You're not going to out-Bible study a demon. If we go to the hurting, we must go in his authority, not in our strengths of intellect or power, because we could go, we could be easily overpowered. There's a story in Acts 19 where some Jewish priest's sons, uh, sons of Sceva, try to cast out demons by their knowledge of Jesus's name, but not by his authority. And they ended up getting beat up, stripped of their clothes by a demon. The demon says to him, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I recognize, but who are you? We go in the authority of the gospel. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And the demon says, legion, for we are many. And and the demons that had entered him said that. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now, when Jesus asks this man's name, I believe he's trying to talk to the man himself. He's not trying to play an authority game with the demon. That was an exorcist game of trying to dominate through the knowledge of a name. That's part of the debate tactic. You don't have to debate with demons. You don't want to debate with demons because they lie and they threaten and they create fear. And the demons right here are now trying to create fear. They attempt to create fear by saying legion. A Roman legion was uh, usually about 6,000 men. Can you imagine the fear that was created in the disciples? You could have just seen their eyes as they heard that. The, 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 the Romans were the greatest oppressor that they knew in their lives. 6,000 troops represented to them a terrifying, destructive force. I think the demons were hoping that that would create fear and confusion and, 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 and that would send them running because fear and confusion is a demon's greatest weapon against us. So they inflated their position hoping to gain advantage. Remember in Ephesians 6, Paul says we wrestle with these forces. We're not dominated by them. Like, you know, the movies. You know, the language Paul uses in Ephesians 6 is like an athletic contest to 
to strengthen. It's not about an all-out war. You know, there may be demons in this conflict, but it's not an all-out war. It won't be a dramatic struggle like the movies with this man. You know, Jesus won't have this man flying around the room, spitting up pea green soup and throwing stuff at him. Real spiritual battle is more like this. They threaten, they beg, they try to discredit God, and Jesus exercises his authority by, by his identity over them, and it's over. That's spiritual battle. Doesn't have to get loud. When we go in his authority and face the demonic in messy situations, we do not need to go in fear. We simply go armed in the authority of his gospel. Our spiritual armor in Ephesians 6 is all about covering yourself in our identity, in the truth of his gospel as a new creation. It's not a magic spell. Jesus uses no magic spell here. He stiply stands in his identity as a son of God. And we do the same. Covered in his grace. Covered in our new identity in Christ. When we find ourselves in messy situations, it's our identity and the word of God that is sufficient to bring help. The demon begs for mercy, but it it is just more rebellion. They're acting like a victim so that they can slander publicly the goodness of God. Jesus has not threatened them. He has just simply set a boundary. He's asked them to come out of the man. Now there's a large herd of pigs that was feeding on a hill. And they begged him to let them enter these. And so he gave them permission. Who has all the authority in this battle? God. Jesus. Demons have some authority, but it's limited by whatever God allows. Spiritual war is not a battle of two equal forces, two yin and yangs duking it out. God is a supreme force of love dealing with a terrorist. The the demons can't simply flee his presence even. They have to ask Jesus' permission to leave. He gives them permission to go into the pigs. Now, is this being compassionate to them? I don't think so. I believe he allows it to teach the man what the demon's true objective is. Destruction. Verse 33 says, The demons came out of this man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. The true objective of the demons is always to destroy what God has created. Even their pleas for mercy were a way to slander God. The man himself may have become accustomed to the company of his demons. They may have provided him some benefits, supernatural knowledge, physical strength, but they were never his friends. Their ultimate objective was to destroy him. And God let him see that in the senseless destruction of these pigs. Friends, we all get deceived by our sin because there's an apparent benefit to our sin to us. 
But like this man and his demons, sin takes away from us more than it ever gives to us. See, there's a demonic lie that sin makes us free. But there's a truth that has a great cost. And that's why Jesus came to set us free of it. Romans 6.23 says, For the wage, the cost of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 34 says, When the herdmen saw what had happened, they fled and told in the city and in the country. Then the people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and they found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at his feet, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. The authority of Christ and his gospel brought peace and freedom to this man's life. All the the rebelliousness of the demon's authority had brought him was nakedness and shame and homelessness, living among the dead. But now he's sitting under new management. He is protected. He is sitting at Jesus' feet under the authority of his discipleship. You know, no matter what mess someone's life is in, as his disciples, we must believe that Christ has the power through God's authority to restore them to life again. That no one is too far gone. Because the Bible says this about all of us, that before we receive the authority in Christ, all of us are like this, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of air, the spirit that is now in work at work in the sons of disobedience. But when his authority comes to us, we are restored. We are made alive together with Christ. By grace, we have been saved. You know, it's interesting now that the Gentiles all around him are afraid of what they see. They are more afraid of a free man than a demonized man. The truth is, there is more power in a man under the authority of God than in a demon. Beloved, many of you are afraid to go into the mess with his authority But if you go in faith, you will find that they are more afraid of you because what happens when you turn on the light? Darkness flees. So if you're hiding in your house or hiding in this church, there's no reason to hide your light in here. Go out there and let the darkness flee. Verse 36 says, those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. And so he got into a boat and returned. Why would the people, after seeing that one of their own was healed by Jesus, why would the Gerasenes ask Jesus to leave? Well, the text says they were seized with a great fear. That that sounds like demonic possession or oppression. 
Sounds like distorted thinking to me. Jesus could bring healing and life to their people. But they were more concerned about making their bacon and their sausage and keeping their normal little lives together. Paul says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And Jesus was bringing a new kingdom of light to the world. And when he brought it to that man, it was too scary, too foreign to the Gerasenes. It might cost them some of their sin. Because they maybe didn't live in a kingdom of darkness like the man, but they lived in a kingdom of gray. They were afraid of the man who lived in the darkness, the demonic man. But they had fallen for an even bigger demonic lie that there are three kingdoms. When God's word says there's only two. A kingdom of light and a kingdom of darkness. There is no kingdom of gray. So you're either in the kingdom of light or you're either in the kingdom of darkness. And so maybe they're even more deceived than the man who was in the deep mess. At least he came to Jesus in his mess. They had the demonic thought that they were just doing fine with their pretty little lives eating their bacon. And so they asked him to leave so he would not disrupt their safe little lives. How sad is it when people hear Jesus' life-giving gospel about entering his kingdom and they reject it. And they believe they're just fine. They believe a lie that will destroy them. Jesus simply leaves because he did not come to possess them or dominate them by force or with deception. He came to win them by his love. And so he crossed the lake to people with an opposite problem but a similar deception that they were just fine because of their religion. They believed that they were not messy like the people on the other side of the lake. But both cultures were deceived But Jesus did not war against the cultures. He used his authority and identity to go to all-out war with the enemy. On the cross in Colossians 2.15, it says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. In love, Jesus died on the cross for us to forgive our sin. And on the third day, he rose to new life to give us the promise of everlasting life. This proved God's love for us to forever defeat the enemy's lie that we are alone, that we need to be afraid and that we have no value in this world. Jesus showed us that at our worst, we are loved and are of infinite worth to God. In his authority, he came to restore us. And then he told us to go in his authority and defeat the lie that holds so many broken and set them free. Verse 38 says, And the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, Return home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city, how much Jesus had done for him. 
Now that last verse seems strange, doesn't it? It's confusing. Why would Jesus send away a man he had just freed? A man who wanted to be with him. Well, I can think of three reasons. Telling him to go was proof to the man that he was under new authority, under new management, and that his healing was no longer, um, that it was complete, that it was no longer necessary, that the demons no longer had any control over him. That he had authority. Sharing the message of what God has done for him was going to give him authority. Each time he told him, it was a reminder of the authority that had saved him. It, it casted away the lies that still sometimes maybe haunted him, and it helped him own his new life. And also, Jesus loved the Gerasenes who rejected him and sent him away. And they knew that they could listen without fear or religious prejudice to a man who was once like them, full of demons, but was now in their right mind, his right mind, free at last. And he sent them, sent him as a missionary to prepare their hearts for Paul and others that would come after he won the war. Friends, he has sent us in his authority into a broken world. Are we going to hide because of a demonic lie in our fears? Are we going to go in his authority? Are we going to go to people opposite from us? Today we need to trust in Jesus and go in his authority. healing to this world. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you and I praise you for your word. It's always true. Father, if there's anybody here listening to my voice, anybody here that is struggling today, maybe they come to you and may they express their need to you. May your perfect love cast out their fears. May it dispel the lies that they have heard. May they put their trust and their faith in the power and the authority of your love for them. Father, may they commit to following you. For in following you and, 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 and going in your authority is part of their healing. Maybe the reason so many are fearful is that they're not obeying you. They're not going and doing what you said. Father, lead them out. Just like you took your disciples out to face their fears and see your glory. Lord, take us out into the world. Help us to be obedient to you. To see your wonders. Give us stories to tell of the miracles you do. Let us transform a generation. A generation that is lonely, that is captive, that is broken and hurting, that needs your grace.
let's go in your authority, Jesus. Strengthen us, empower us. 